Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 8. Psalm 8, as I said earlier this morning, uh, as we were singing, the, this psalm begins with the first song that we sang this morning. O Lord, our Lord, depending on your translation, how majestic or how magnificent your name is in, is in all the earth. And, and the psalmist is going to go through a lot of uh, descriptors of God, but, but the, the big picture that we get of God here is maybe like this big picture uh, that uh, is going to be on your screen. It, it, those uh, dots, and it's, it's a little warped uh, because our, our screens aren't cooperating at the moment. Uh, we're working on that. Uh, those dots aren't stars. Those are galaxies. Um, and if you, if you look closely, if your eyes are, or your glasses are good enough, you can see the disk shapes and the spirals and, and, and those are galaxies. That's just one little segment of our universe that the Hubble telescope took a picture of not too long ago. Um, some universe statistics for you this morning. I, I, I like science pretty well and, and y'all know by now I like random facts and, and, and uh, statistics uh, even if some of them might be <coughs> lies. Yeah, um, Ask your, ask your parents what. Anyway, uh, more stars in the universe than grains of sand on earth. Let that sink in. Think of all the beaches. Think of all the dirt. And there are more stars than grains of sand. Uh, each, each galaxy has millions of stars, and they are deciding now just by looking at pictures like this, so they're, they're probably billions of galaxies. So we're talking about uh, unfathomable uh, numbers of stars. What's crazy, though, is all the galaxies and, and the planets that might uh, orbit those stars, and uh, all the galaxies make up only about 5% of the universe. The other 95% of the universe is dark matter and dark energy, and, and that's a nice way of saying we don't know. At the speed of light, if you are traveling at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, it would take you 100,000 years to cross the Milky Way galaxy, just our galaxy. So traveling at 186,000 miles per second, sounds awesome to me, um, it would take you 100,000 years to get across the galaxy, just the galaxy. All the planets, let's bring it a little closer to home, all the planets in the solar system could fit between the Earth and the moon. As big as Jupiter is, as big as Saturn is, all the planets could fit between the Earth and the moon. Not the Earth and the sun, we're talking about the Earth and the moon. The sun is exactly 400 times bigger than the moon, and the moon is exactly... 400 times closer to the earth than the sun. That's why we get solar eclipses. That's why the moon fits perfectly over the sun. Because the ratio is perfect. On Jupiter and Saturn, it rains diamonds. Q. Uh, Channing, what was her first name? Diamonds are a girl's best friend. You know who I'm talking about. Carol Channing, thank you. I'm glad the impression just totally made it for you. Like, oh, absolutely, we know who he's talking about. On Jupiter and Saturn, it rains diamonds. 
there is actually a planet they found that is made of diamonds. And there's also a planet where it rains glass sideways. Well, Thursday night, that was Earth, right? It was, wasn't glass, it was ice, but uh, it was raining ice sideways, as some of us sadly know. All that, all that, all, all, the, 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 the moon and, and, and the precision and the creativity was all created for us. There seems to be very little reason for the rest of the universe. They've not found life anywhere else. Uh, they've been looking for a long time, the least little bit. You know, you know how they're looking for life on other planets. They are looking, they, they, space makes noise. Uh, stars make noise and, and uh, radio waves and, and, and planets make noise and galaxies make noise. There's all sorts of noise in space, but it's completely random. Uh, what they're looking for is something that comes across the antenna that's rhythmic. Repeti uh, uh, repetitious, repetitive. And if that happens, then they're going to know, wait a minute, that's not just natural, because natural stuff happens at random. They've not found anything like that. So, so what it looks like is that all of that was, quote, wasted, except that it was done for us. It was created for us. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of the, the, the vast distances and, and reaches of space, uh, God knows us. He knows us personally. We're told he knows the number of hairs on our head. I mean, he knows us intimately, even with all that's going on. David in Psalm 8 speaks of the extreme, outlandish, unfathomable greatness of God. He talks about how incredible this God is. And then, in the middle of the passage, he's going to marvel that God cares about us. This God that... And, and, and they didn't have Hubble. They just looked up at night and, and saw stars and they moved and the sun and the, and the moon and, and they would see comets and, and you know they didn't have natural uh, they didn't have unnatural light so they saw an incredible night sky every night we, we don't get to see it the way God created it now because of all our lights you've got to go out in the middle of nowhere to see it the, the way God created it they looked and they marveled that God would care about us. David looked and he marveled that he would care about us, but God does. He does care about us. Now this, this is the first psalm of praise in the book of Psalms. It's also an atypical uh, psalm of praise. Normally, psalms of praise uh, talk about the earth crying out in some fashion, see, the, everything cries out in praise, so you should. Or there's a because statement. Because these things happen, praise the Lord. This psalm is just pure praise. Just purely uh, a response to God. You can almost see David, uh, depending on he, when he wrote this, maybe he was out tending the sheep. He was playing his, his lute, his harp or whatever musical instrument he had with him, and, 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 and the, the, the sheep had all uh, 
gone to bed and he had to sit up for a while to watch him and uh, watch him and you can just see him looking up the stars and and just praise started and he wrote it down for us by God's intervention and God's grace in the and David saw that in the midst of God's great creation David knew in the midst of God's great creation his prized possession not, not a, a, a planet made of diamonds, not the, the infinite reaches, uh, uh, seemingly infinite reaches of the universe. God's prized possession is a relationship with us. That's what God is looking for, and that is what really marveled David in this passage. Look at Psalm 8. Uh, it's a short psalm, verses 1 through 9, with me. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab one there in the pew rack. In front of you. Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man, that you look after him. You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. Amen. That is right. So we've got to start there, right? We've got to start with his magnificent name, where David starts in that first part of verse 1. How magnificent is your name throughout the earth? David here at at the outset, when he talks about throughout the earth, he is setting up God's acts as creator. He's getting us ready for what he has been looking at and, and, and just can't wrap his head around. He, he, he's, he's saying, how, how magnificent is your name? Now, it's interesting that he uses name here. This is not uncommon. A name is a descriptor of who people are uh, or, and even who God is. And, and that's what this is talking about here. He's not just saying how uh, magnificent is your name, Yahweh? You know, or if, if, if it was one of us, how magnificent is your name, Don? Or something like that. It's, it's not just, wow, you've got a really nice name. It's a, it's a cool name you've got. No, that's not what he's talking about. Name here is not just Yahweh. For God, since names, especially in Hebrew, were descriptors of the people, uh, uh, you, you, you think of uh, maybe the, 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 not the best example, but the most intriguing uh, example would be the names of Hosea's kids, except it's questionable whether they were Hosea's kids. And his last child, Lo-Ami, he realized wasn't his. And his child's name is Not My People. His child's name is, that ain't my kid. You don't want to be named that. But, but names describe the person. 
and names had meaning. And here, with the name of Yahweh, that name is God's revelation of himself. This is who I am. Remember, I am that I am. This is me. My name is me. So when, when David says, O Lord, our Lord, how magnificent or how majestic is your name, what he's saying is, your name is majestic. The name of Yahweh is majestic. But more than that, majesty is who you are. He is worshiping the very name of God. And the rest of this psalm is a psalm of who God is. Not just who we perceive him to be, but who he is. Because that name reveals himself and all creation reveals himself. But, but he says, in the second half of verse 1, you've covered the heavens with your majesty. This is a nice little transition section from your name is great to what you've done. Because what this passage, this, this little section tells us is that God is greater than all of creation. Your name is great. You are great in all of the earth. And, and we might say that a person is greater than everybody else. Maybe the greatest person that ever lived. For whatever reason, that's how we describe that person. That's how we think of them. But what we wouldn't say is that person is greater than everything or above everything. That would be pretty high praise. We understand that that person is just part of the created order, part of the rest of the world. They were good, but, but they're just a part of, of, of what is. For God, or for David rather, God is greater than the creation. God, David is above the creation. David is making a statement here about who God is again. He's saying he is outside of creation. There are two uh, heretical views. There are many, actually. But he, he's making a statement uh, against two views, uh, pantheism and panentheism. Now, pantheism, you, you might, recognize, uh, might recognize a little bit. Pan means all or everything. So pantheism says that everything is is God. So you and I are God, and these pews are God, and the dirt outside is God, and the grass is God, and the volcanoes are God, and the oceans are God, and, and the, the core of the earth is God, and the stars are God, and the moon. Everything is God. He is everything, and everything is Him. Panentheism is similar to that, but er, not everything is God, but God is in everything. So he, he's, he's a part of the pulpit, but he's not the pulpit. He's a part of the dirt and the grass and the, the rocks, but he's not the dirt and the grass and the rocks. And, and what David is saying here against some religions even then that would have held these views is saying, no, 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 God is not the dirt and he's not part of the dirt. God's above the earth. God is not the creation and not a part of the creation. He is above the creation. He is the creator of the creation. He is beyond what we see. He's more than what we think. He's greater than anything we look at and say, wow, the stars are great. But David said, yeah, but God's greater. But did you see the moon last night? It was pretty. Yeah, but God's greater. But have you ever been to the ocean? Yeah, it's awesome. But God is greater. That's what David is saying here. 
He's greater than all of creation. And in that greatness, verse 2, he cares for the least. God is, or David rather, is, is preparing us. He's building us up to get us to where he wants us to be in this passage. God cares for the least. He says, from the mouths of infants and, and nursing babies, or babies and nursing infants, uh, depending on your translation. You have established a stronghold. Now that, that phrase, babies and nursing infants, uh, infants and nursing babies, whatever, almost always refers to the vulnerable and the suffering of humanity. When, when they're, those words are almost always together, uh, infants and nursing babies, those are two different descriptors of, of, of children. They're almost always together, and they almost always refer to those who suffer because of oppression or war or something like that. So from their mouths, from, from them, from, from the beginning of time, from creation... From before sin, before Adam and Eve, God knew the reality of a fallen world. God knew that the time would come when infants and, and nursing babies would suffer because of sinfulness. God knew that. Even in his creation of this fantastic universe... He was already concerned about the suffering of the least. What is David saying here? From, from the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold. You have heard their suffering. We can have faith that he will protect. He, he, he knew then that babies and nursing infants would suffer. He knew the, the, the reality of a fallen world. We, we know that it, we, we look at the world and we say, but, but God, you, you don't protect. We've seen the images of, of, of the, the results of war and famine, and we've, we've seen the children uh, uh, washed up on beaches as they had tried to, to get away from uh, 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 oppression in their country, and they drowned. We've seen all this, Lord. And, and what we understand is, we live in a fallen world, and imagine how bad it would be if God did not have his sovereign hand on the world now. Imagine where we would be if he stepped back and said, fine, you're on your own. See, see God in his sovereignty allows certain things to happen, things that we wish he would not allow to happen. But that does not change, David understood, he saw, that does not change the fact that in the midst of this grand creation, we can have faith that God will protect. I mean, if you've been with us through any of these other psalms we've looked at, that's been David's cry so far in these psalms, that he knows what we are going through. David understands God's abilities to save because he's done it in the past. And as we continue moving through the Psalms over the years, we will see those times where David says, but Lord, if you don't, I'll still follow you. And we hear an echo of 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they are about to be thrown in the fiery furnace. Our God is able to save. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow to you, Nebuchadnezzar. We are going to remain faithful to our Lord because they knew they, they could look at creation and know that God would protect. And, and, he, and David goes on. He says, from the mouths of infants and, these, and babes, you've, you've established a stronghold or founded a barricade is a good translation as well. On the account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. So he's connecting. These aren't the good avengers. These are bad avengers um, that he's talking about here. Uh, he, he's connecting the, those who are against God, against his creation, against his plan, against his will. Uh, he, he is comparing them to these babies that suffer and, and creating an image here, again, that from the beginning, God was protecting. From, he established a stronghold at the beginning. God set a foundation at the beginning of creation. Yes, bad things will happen. Yes, people will die. But I am sovereign now at creation. It's all mine. I did it all. And as you go through life, I am still sovereign. For some, that's not, that's not comforting. And we've got to admit that fact. There are some people that will say, it's called the problem of evil. And it's a, a, a difficult question to, to answer when people ask it. The, if God is sovereign, why do bad things happen? Well, we understand that sin caused it. And God in his sovereignty has made his sovereign decision to allow us to live with the circumstances of our decisions to live with the circumstances of our sin. And, and that is the way he chose to set it up. He didn't want automatons, uh, uh, robots that worshipped him uh, without choice, without feeling, but instead followed him because of a choice. And sadly, many choose not to. And as a result of that, people die, people are oppressed, or because of the fallen state of the world, the, the creation groans, the Bible says, to be lifted from the burden of sin. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, all of creation was cursed. We talked about that a few weeks ago, and so we still live under that. But imagine how bad it would be if we did not have our sovereign God in charge. He was sovereign then. He's sovereign now. So David's saying, you had the plan, you, you, you were in charge then, you are still in charge. So when I look, verse 3, when I observe your he heavens, the work of your fingers, he says, the, the moon and the stars which you set in place, uh, the work of your fingers, that's a great description. Scripture here and all the way back to Genesis assumes a personal creative act. Now, your view of creation will affect your worship. Your view of creation will affect your worship. And there are many uh, competing views uh, of how God created the world. There are many theistic, God-led views on how he created the world. There's the atheistic view that we're all just 
uh, an accident. Uh, nothing was planned. Nothing was, uh, 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 was intentional. It was all accidental, and I completely, wholeheartedly, and fully reject that. I don't see any of that in Scripture. I don't see that in nature. I don't see a lack of a plan. Really, the moon is 400 times smaller than the sun and also exactly 400 times closer to the earth than it is to the sun so that it fits just right. I mean, we could talk about the tilt of the earth and how the 23 and a half degree tilt, if it was just a half a degree either way, then, uh, then our seasons would be totally messed up. Uh, certainly much different than they are. The existence of water on our planet versus, as far as we know, any other planet makes life possible. There there are too many accidents for it to be an accident. So I I reject the the atheistic God-is-not-involved view. I, I reject the theistic God started it and kind of stepped back and let it go and see what happened. I reject that as well. David understood. Genesis understood. And I believe we as believers need to understand that God was intimately involved in the creation of his universe. His, the work of his fingers. I mean, the vision, the, the image we get is, 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 is God doing the, the smallest things to create. Now, we know, according to Genesis, that he spoke and it happened. God did not have to craft things. And yet, the, the, the care, even in his spoken word, lets us see a craftsman down to the last detail, creating the world. His fingerprints got on everything. Uh, there was a... a I was learning about a, or watching something about a, uh, a, 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 oh gosh, where was it now? Can't remember. It was a plantation, uh, plantation home, and the most of the outbuildings, the the slave quarters and that kind of thing, have been destroyed over time. the The main house still stands. It was in, it was in uh, Texas. Um, the main house still stands. The rest of it's gone, except for some foundations. And on the foundations. The bricks that built those foundations, you can still see the fingerprints of the slaves that, that formed those bricks. They were still soft when they pulled them out and when they fired them and those fingerprints. And that's all that's left of, of uh, even some of the memories of, of those people. We see God's fingerprints on everything, the works of his fingers. And if, if we have a... a view of God's distance from his creation, happenstance, accidental creation of all that is, then that affects how we worship him. We look at creation and say, "Mm, boy, it's great that it worked out that way, isn't it, God? And that seems to fall short of the kind of worship. It doesn't even seem to. That falls short of the kind of worship David understood when he looked at creation and said, I cannot believe what you made. And as we get further into creation, we understand only humans can look at the stars and wonder. Remember, I've talked about how humans are the pinnacle of creation. We're the only ones that look up and go, wow. At best, dogs just howl at the moon. They don't look at it and admire it. 
We look at creation and admire it because creation is a gift. Our wonder at that creation is a gift. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, I'm overwhelmed by it. And verse 4, then I wonder what is a human being that you remember him. You did all of that. We marvel at creation. And then David says we marvel at our place in it. Even as the pinnacle of creation, we are minuscule in creation. And we're not even the smallest thing. We're made up of atoms. And, and between the, the nucleus of the atoms that make us up and the electron of, of the, that, that swirl around that nucleus, every molecule is made up of those atoms. I read something the other day that said, if you took all the space out of atoms, if you took all the distance between the nucleus and the electron, you squeezed it all together, all seven billion people on earth would be the size of a sugar cube. If you, if you squeezed us down, you squeezed all the air out of us, all the distance between the nucleus and the electrons of atoms, all seven billion people would be the size of a sugar cube. We're not, we're not even the smallest thing. But we're, we're so, so small compared to the universe. And God says, David understands, you remember us. What are we, he says, that you remember us, that you look after us? Now, remember and look after, those phrases show us first God thinks, then he does. God is a God of planning. He didn't just create the, the world and go, oh, that looks nice. And I, I've told, I told you the story a few weeks ago, the, the Greek myth of, of how Poseidon created the horse because he was trying to make something pretty for some girl he liked. And, and we got all the accidental horses, elephants and hippopotami and rhinoceroseri and um, giraffesi and, and, and all the plurals of animals. We, we got all these attempts at horses and then suddenly Poseidon said, oh, the horse, that one's pretty. That's what I'll give her. That's not the way God created. God thinks and then he does. God thinks about humanity and then he acts with humanity. Or maybe another way to say it is God is compassionately purposeful toward humanity. God remembers us and he looks after us. There are a lot of times we remember something. Oh, man, I was supposed to, oh, gosh, I should have, oh, yeah. It's too late, you know. Well, I was supposed to do that last week. I didn't, eh, well, catch it next time, maybe. God does not remember that way. That, that's not the idea here of remember that something, God forgot something, then it came back to him. God thinks of something and he reacts, he responds to it. That's what God is doing. One theologian put it this way he said, God's remembering always implies his movement toward the object of his memory. Always. So, what is man that you remember us? Son of man that you, you, you look after us? David is saying the same thing twice. What are we? Who are we that you would care about us? 
David marveled at creation, and then he marveled at our place in creation. He goes on to say, verse 5 through 8, You made him little less than God and crowned him with, the glory, with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as all the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. In God's greatness, he honored humanity. The pinnacle of his creation, he then honored them, crowned us with glory. This, this, these four verses uh, reflect the purposeful nature of the creation account in Genesis 1 through 2. Chapters 1 and 2. Again, it was not accidental. It was not God trying things and it not working out. It was the way God planned it all along. By design, we are God's stewards. That's the way he planned it. We are stewards of the earth. This would be a great passage among many to talk about some uh, evangelical uh, uh, ecology. Uh, evangelical um, preservation of the earth. What is our responsibility? Uh, not talking about carbon credits and, and those sorts of things. Uh, I'm not talking about political footballs. I'm talking about what does the Bible say we are supposed to do. The Bible says we are stewards of the earth. Uh, the great theologian, uh, the uncle of Spider-Man, said with great power comes great responsibility and he was you know he's talking about uh, what was uncle uncle what's his name ben thank you uncle ben yeah uh he also made rice um with great power comes great responsibility that is true that is what we are as stewards of creation. You have made him a little less than God. We are, we are exalted in this position. You have made us the pinnacle of creation. You crowned us with glory and honor. But we have a responsibility. Ruler over the works of your hands. Everything is under our feet and sheep and oxen and all this stuff. We are to be mindful and look after creation. What is man that you remember us? What is uh, son of man that you look after us? But in your divine providence, in your sovereignty, you put us in charge to remember, uh, to be mindful, and to look after creation. And, and we look at all that he created, all the way out to the furthest galaxy away from us, and we see that God took that greatness and he created it for our use in his perfect wisdom. God did that for us. And it's incredible that he, we, he would. And verse 9, David comes right back to where he started. How can we not praise him? His creation shows his glory. We look at creation, God, and we see who you are. We cannot fathom the greatness of the God that would create all these things that we are mesmerized by. That was the works of your fingers. That was nothing. That was a snap. That was a, a, a spoken word. That was, that was just you doing what you do. It was nothing for you. And you did it for us. His creation shows his care. It is all designed carefully. Everything works together. 
Sin messed that up. The design was perfect. The plan was perfect. He, it shows his intimate relationship with his creation, including us. His creation is for our use. How can we not praise him that we get to eat bacon? I mean, really? How can we not praise him that, that the moon is something that we've now explored and look and, and now we're looking at going to Mars we, he's he's given us this huge jungle gym to play in and given us the wisdom and the scientists to create rockets that'll get us there that's crazy creation is for our use how can we not praise him his creation actually honors us he did this for our benefit, for our use, but then put us in charge of it and said, you I have created specially to watch over all of it. But as great as that is, as magnificent as that creation is, steward of creation takes second place to worshiper of God. And that's why David began and ended the way he did. Wow, God, and you created us, and you put us in charge of it? But all that pales to the fact that we get to worship you. As impressive as the universe is, God is more impressive. As phenomenal as, we, as the Grand Canyon and everything that we look at, and Olympus Mons on, on Mars, the mountain that is so tall that if you stood on the, uh, the top of that mountain, you cannot see the bottom. You see the curvature of the planet. It is so tall. It is huge. That God that created all of that for us to enjoy wants us to worship him more than we marvel at his creation. This was God's perfect design. A perfect relationship of worship. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Man, the earth's great. Man, you put us in charge. Man, I can't believe we're the pinnacle of creation. But O oh Lord, we worship you. That is our goal. That is what we are created for. That was God's perfect design. But as we look at God's design, even the design of the creation, the design of us, we understand that something happened to his design. It's not perfect anymore, is it? The, we, from the mouths of infants and, and nursing babies, we hear the cry of oppression and pain. We see those who set themselves up against God as verse 3 or 4, whatever it was, uh, talked about it verse 2 talked about we see that and we go lord what happened to your design and what we see is that we happened to his design or more specifically sin happened to his design sin is anytime we diverge from god's design it is sin and it leads to things like children crying out for mercy and grace and justice. It, it results in brokenness in this world. And brokenness looks like hungry children, hungry adults. It looks like war. It looks like uh, a creation that seems to fight against us as we are supposed to steward it. Well, that's what Genesis says. 
The creation will fight against us, yet we are still in charge of stewarding it. It looks like pain and hurt and sorrow and, 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 and uh, depression and addictions and all of these sorts of things. And it looks like us trying to fix it, trying to find a way out of brokenness, but it, they lead nowhere. Our ways don't work. They don't fix it. And then we look to the, the Bible and we see the plan. We, we see the way out. We see, oh Lord, our Lord how magnificent is your name? We, we read Hebrews and we see that that son of man that is talked about in Psalm 4, a little lower than the angels, they translate it in Hebrews, is the son of man, Jesus, who came to the earth and died for us. The gospel message that he was uh, crucified according to the scriptures, he was buried in on the third day, he rose again according to the scriptures. We see that that is God's plan to heal the brokenness, to fix the brokenness. That was a part of the plan. He knew the brokenness was coming, and he had a plan for the brokenness all the time. We just need to repent and believe in that gospel. Repent of our sins. Repent of our attempts to fix the brokenness. Uh, uh, repent of our uh, contributions to the brokenness in sin, and believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we begin to recover and pursue God's design again. We look at the world in a different way, and we look at broken relationships, and we should want them healed. We should look at a, a broken uh, creation and want to see it uh, stewarded and, 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 and uh, maintained. We look at our hearts and where we saw bitterness and anger and hatred and, and a heart of stone, the gospel gets us to pursuing that soft heart that is turned to God, that looks at him and worships as David said, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Uh, Hesychius of Jerusalem, I'm sure you've all read his works, 5th century uh, church father said this, The church says, O Lord, our Lord, for after the recognition of Christ, when one is freed from the slavery of idolatry, one begins to call on God and the Lord. Always the whole earth truly is full of the marvelous creations, the works of God. And even more marvelous, the name of that one, namely Christ, has been made wonderful among the nations and foreign peoples through faith in him. This morning, will you sing, O Lord, our Lord? Make his name wonderful when that name of Jesus changes you because you trust him for your salvation today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, again, for your creation that sings your praises, that declares the works of your hand, that you have put us stewards over, that you have given us to declare your glory, to see your glory, and to see your incredibly powerful hand. And Lord, may it lead us not to praise the creation, but the creator. Not to worship what was made, but who made it. And Lord, may we... Respond to that creation. Respond to that infinite power 
in wisdom, in obedience, and in humility. As we see the brokenness that our attempts away from your design have created, and we return to you in faith, with the gospel in our hearts, and salvation on our lips, saying, Lord Jesus, save me a sinner. I repent of that sin and turn to you today. Make that the result of our observation, how great you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So how should you respond this morning? Maybe you need to accept Christ, follow him in in obedience and baptism. Maybe you've accepted Christ, but you've not been baptized and followed as you should. Maybe you need to make a decision this morning to to worship him and, and just you know, God, I haven't worshipped you the way I should have. Creation, the problems with it, the sin in my life have put up barriers that I no longer want. Whatever your decision is this morning, maybe you need to join our church. Maybe you have other things that you would like to uh, pray with somebody about. Tom will be over here in this corner to my right. I'll be in this corner uh, to my left. We would love to pray with you, help you, walk you through any decision you might make this morning. But you make that decision and don't put it off. As we stand, as we sing together, as we worship the God of creation, and as he does business with us today.